Hi, I'm Dr. Geron Schneider. I'm a general internist at Abington Health right outside of Philadelphia. And today we're going to talk about a landmark trial called the DCCT trial. And here to discuss this landmark trial with me is Dr. Jack Leahy. Uh, Doran, hi. Uh, I'm Jack Leahy, and just to introduce myself, I'm uh, the head of endocrine here at the University of Vermont in uh, Burlington, Vermont. Fabulous. Well, thank you for spending a few minutes with us here today, Dr. Leahy. Now, um, what I'd like to turn to uh, is the next phase uh, after the DCCT, T, I'm sorry, the DCCT trial formally ended. Uh, there was a wonderful observation, uh, natural observation study called the EDICT study. So can you please tell us a little bit about what happened in the EDICT study, which is a continuation observational trial? How many years did it go for and what, uh, what happened to the two arms uh, of the DCCT? So what the EDICT trial was, was to take people who um, were now finishing the um, DCCT trial and continue to follow them but no longer in any kind of controlled environment. So essentially the trial stops and all of the intervention stops so that the people who were the intensive group, uh, you know, within about a year, A1C started to loosen up a little bit and, and sort of drifted up to the high sevens because that's what happens. It's not easy to keep uh, an A1C of 7% um, with type 1 diabetes. It's really hard work. And when you're no longer in the, in the clinical trial, then it just loosened up a little bit. So they kind of went again. They rose a bit. And then the people who were in the control group who previously had had a hemoglobin A1C of 9%, they started to hear all of the wonderful things attached to the better control. And so they just naturally improved because I think the medical profession had adopted that, you know, this is important. So their A1Cs came down to the high sevens. And so somewhat serendipitously, these two groups within a year or so essentially equalized in terms of hemoglobin A1C and actually equalized in terms of uh, sort of treatment approaches. So they became one and the same now. There was no obvious difference between the two. And then they were just followed, and they were followed for close to another 10 years. And um, data was periodically collected to understand the different health issues of these individuals and see how they're doing. So that's the design with some pretty interesting surprises. Yeah, so a uh, very crisp uh, review of that observation, uh, observational follow-up study, which lasted almost 20 years, uh, and uh, you alluded to the interesting findings. So uh, let's start off first with the primary endpoints uh, regarding microvascular complications. Uh, what did we see as it relates to them? So, you know, what I guess maybe to try and understand why these are interesting, you might take one step back and say, well, what might you have predicted? And I think probably people would say, well, the prediction would be that when you have this difference in A1C, this in intensive uh, therapy difference, is you'll see a protective effect against uh, something, i.e. microvascular complications is what was identified. But now if the difference in A1C goes away, then in theory the protective effect will go away. It may take a period of time, but the concept would be that it'll go away. I mean, you need ongoing intensive therapy to maintain the benefit. And that is not at all what was seen 
the initial protection against microvascular complications and, and the ones that have been mostly focused on are retinal, but there's been um, also a neuropathy in some of these that they continue. Something about that early period of intensive therapy gives a ongoing protective effect that is does not require maintenance of that intensive um, difference in A1C, which is kind of stunning if you think about it. Right, and I believe that that concept has been uh, one that has been named metabolic memory, uh, and I, I believe that uh, it has really uh, fundamentally altered uh, the uh, way that we think about uh, the early and aggressive treatment of patients who, who are just diagnosed uh, really for um, uh, all the above reasons that you've just articulated. Uh, this is a, a lasting impact that you're making over decades uh, to really get uh, that, that initial early control. Uh, the uh, beta cells have, have memory. Um, so uh, let's then uh, focus on the big other shock that you've alluded to a couple times regarding macrovascular complications. Now you, you did uh, clearly state that this is a, um, a very young population. They didn't have a lot of comorbidities. They didn't have a lot of cardiac risk factors. So we didn't see a lot of endpoints as it relates to cardiac outpoints, uh, outcomes in the DCCT. What did we see as it relates to cardiovascular outcomes in EDIC? So I love how you framed the question because shock, this is just more than shock. I mean, this is really a uh, altering event in our world, which is uh, this same lingering memory, uh, molecular mimicry, whatever you want to call it, was true for cardiovascular disease. And so all of a sudden, because the trial had now drifted out to another 10 plus years from the original um, seven years of the DCCT, you're getting older people who are having higher cardiovascular event rates and the same protection, sizable protection. We're not talking something a little dinky. I mean, we're talking in the sort of 30 to 40% protective range was still there years after the trial was over. And again, I emphasize that not only had A1C um, come back to be equal during the 10 years they weren't in the trial, but blood pressures were the same, lipids were basically the same. I mean, none of the cardiovascular risk factors that we think about easily explains any of this. There was something magical, magical, about that first six to seven years of intensive blood glucose control in these patients, which continued to be present 20 years later. And I don't think we have a time where it's ended yet. I mean, maybe it's going to go forever. So uh, a stunning observation that now covered not just microvascular complications, but macrovascular complications, and totally moved the conversation of um, intensive blood glucose control and protection away not just from microvascular issues but long-term macrovascular issues. So it uh, really uh, span, it, it uh, crossed the gamut uh, of uh, microvascular and macrovascular uh, improvements uh, in endpoints, and thus uh, was a, a trial that, that uh, really shook the landscape. 
uh, and will never be repeated. Uh, quite confident of that. Uh, as we finish up here, I, I can't help but uh, uh, just uh, have you comment, if you would, uh, around uh, the uh, type 2 diabetic patient. And do, do any of the things that we just described uh, really um, bear out in, in type 2 diabetes? So it turns out we um, asked, does it work in type 2? And then five years later in 1998 was the publication of the famous UKPDS, the United Kingdom Prospective Diabetes Study, that was not actually perfectly analogous to the DCCT. It was a little bit of a different trial. But it was looking at first drug therapy in type 2 diabetes in people who were very, very early in the course of the disease looking at um, an attained hemoglobin A1C with an intensive therapy of seven versus about eight and people with conventional therapy. So not quite the same delta that we had in type two, but with very similar results, which showed a relationship between intensive blood glucose control and prevention against microvascular complications in type two diabetes. No clear prevention of macrovascular, although that's a very, very complicated subject. Uh, one group took metformin, and maybe metformin showed some cardiovascular protection. That's open to a bit of debate. Uh, and there was a reduction in myocardial infarction in this trial in absolute terms, but not statistical terms. And so, again, we were sort of left with, well, intensive blood glucose control seems to be good also in type 2 um, for microvascular. And then the UKPDS did exactly what the DCCT did, which is to basically wait about another eight to nine years. Again, the trial was finished. People were, you know, let out of it. Their A1Cs normalized in the intensive group versus the control groups. Uh, everything else normalized, including blood pressure. And then they were actually studied uh, eight or nine years later with the same finding which was continued now proven protection against cardiovascular disease in the people who had had the A1Cs that were intensively controlled versus those who hadn't. Um, same molecular mimicry. And actually, one of the things that gets lost in this conversation is if you read the original UKPDS, what you took away from that is that blood pressure was a better control target than A1C because blood pressure at the during the trial did actually seem to confer some cardiovascular benefits while um, blood glucose control didn't really. But at the end of the of the continuation phase, that eight years later, when A1C had normalized and blood pressure had normalized, the cardiovascular protection lingered despite A1Cs coming together, but but the blood pressure related ones didn't. So if there, is, if there is a benefit of intensive blood pressure control in diabetes, you need to keep it controlled. There isn't this sort of long-term memory. And then as a final closing of the loop, there's actually another trial. We talk a lot about something called the Steno2 trial, which is a, a small trial of taking people in Scandinavia and trying to intensively control not just their blood glucose, but blood pressure and lipids. And at the end of that trial, there was pretty good cardiovascular protection, but then everything was stopped, and they were studied an average of seven or eight years later, and they still had this lingering cardiovascular benefit. So this whole idea of mimicry, or at least this uh, sort of molecular protection, uh, is, has been shown not just in type 1 diabetes, but type 2 diabetes. It seemed to be a biological fact.
Well, Jack, I really want to thank you uh, for that review. Uh, what I'd like to do is wrap it up right now uh, and refer uh, our listeners to betacellsindiabetes.org uh, for additional information. Uh, and uh, at this point, again, one final thank you for uh, Dr. Leahy and an eloquent review of the trial. Uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Dr. Leahy. Thank you very much.